Well, this morning, our sermon text, in our sermon text, we come to a new chapter. Uh, we've made it now to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 1 to 6 of that chapter. Again, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. <clears throat> this is the Word of God. Listen carefully to it. The Lord Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your, your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we ask for the wisdom that your Spirit alone can give. We pray, dear Lord, that as we consider the verses before us this morning, that your name would be glorified and that we would be instructed and challenged. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would indeed teach us because you have given us teachable hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now for the last decade, perhaps for the last two decades or even more, in our society, tolerance has been promoted as the highest of virtues by many people. We are in a society of what they call postmodernism. We're in a society of pluralism. We have to accept other people and their beliefs and their views about any number of issues. And if these people who challenge us and who uh, ask us, who preach this gospel of tolerance, if they challenge us in any way from Scripture, this is their go-to verse, isn't it? If they know a single verse from Scripture, it is chapter 7, verse 1 of the Gospel of Matthew. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Who are you to condemn me? And when Christians are challenged in this way, many Christians do not know how to respond. We don't know how to respond to such a challenge, such a rebuke from those who uh, do not believe. And so... This verse goes unchallenged. The use of this verse, I should say, goes unchallenged. Well, does this verse mean? Does it mean that we are not permitted by Scripture to make judgments? Is that what this verse is saying? Does it mean that we can't make judgments about other people's sinful behavior, the things that they do, the things that they say? Is that what this verse teaches us? Well, even though there is no connecting word like the therefore that we had at the beginning of last week's passage in verse 25... It should be kept in mind that this passage is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. It immediately follows what precedes it. It immediately precedes what follows it. We must understand this passage in the light of its context. And so, in its context, we look down to verse 6 of this morning's passage, where Jesus commands his followers not to give what is holy to dogs, not to cast our pearls before swines. Is this a judgment call? Yes, it is. Because Jesus is telling us we must be able to discern who are the dogs and who are the swine. 
In Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus commands his disciples as he is sending them out into the world to proclaim the gospel, he commands them to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as little doves in their interactions with other people. What does he mean by this? At the very least, he means that we must be discerning. We must make judgments. Obviously, both of these verses command this, that we need to make judgment calls. But what judgments may we make? Where do we draw the line? What does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? Well, the line is the difference between the word judgment and the word condemn. That is the line, and that's where we must draw it. And so I'd ask you to think about this as we work our way through this passage this morning. Jesus Christ was judged and condemned in our place so that we may proclaim salvation to sinners, that they might escape the coming wrath at the last day of judgment. Jesus Christ was judged and condemned in your place and in my place, so that we may proclaim salvation to sinners, that they in turn might escape the coming judgment, the coming of God's wrath on that great day of judgment. So I've divided this passage into three sections. The first, verses 1 to 2, condemnation. The second section, verses 3 to 5, hypocrisy. And the third section, verse 6, rejected mercy. Again, condemnation, verses 1 to 2, hypocrisy, verses 3 to 5, and rejected mercy, verse 6. Well, let's look first at verses 1 to 2. Verse 1 says, judge not that you may not, that you be not judged. Now, we all know this verse. And many of us in our interactions with unbelievers, with those who are seeking to flout their their behavior, have had it quoted back to us. If we try to make observations about the sinful behavior of other people, this is what we will often hear. And there is a gospel of tolerance that is being preached in our society. But what does Jesus mean when he makes this statement? It's helpful first to understand what is meant by the words judge and judged. Now, most commentators agree that when Jesus says that you be not judged, he is here referring to the final judgment. He's here referring to that great day, the last day, where Jesus will come, where the trumpet will sound, where all of the living and the dead will be raised up and be judged. And those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what will they say? What will be said to them? Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And those who do not know him, those who have not professed faith in him, those who have rejected him throughout their lives, they will be cast into eternal condemnation in hell. This is the great day of judgment. This is what Jesus is talking about here when he uses the word judged, that second phrase in verse 1. Well, what's more, in Matthew's gospel, the words judge, judged, and judgment are used the vast majority of the time to refer to the final judgment. So it's not just here. How do we know that Jesus here is referring to the final judgment? Because he uses it the majority of the time in Matthew to refer to that great day, the final judgment. So Jesus is saying that we ought not to judge so that we can avoid being judged on the last day. That's what he's saying. Well, we've dealt now with the second use of the word, the judged in verse 1. Let's look now at the first use of the word judge. <clears throat> Jesus, uh, excuse me, uh, 
One commentator is saying of what Jesus says here, the only sense in which one can avoid being judged by God is in in avoiding being condemned in the judgment. So judged here means judge negatively, condemn in the second clause, and it must have a corresponding meaning for the first clause. So in other words, the the second clause, to be judged means to be condemned on the last day. There must be a corresponding meaning for that in the first clause. And so what is Jesus saying? What does he mean here then? Jesus is teaching that we must not judge the way that God judges. The way that God only, only God can judge. We must not delude ourselves into thinking we are capable of condemning another human being to hell. This is what Jesus is saying here. Because only God, only God has the power to condemn. We must not condemn in that way, lest we stand to be condemned on the last day. That's what Jesus is saying. Now in verse 2, Jesus explains more fully what he means in verse 1, when he says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. If we presume, if we take it upon ourselves to judge others in the way that only God can judge, then we are in danger of facing His judgment On the day of judgment. If we think that we can sit in God's seat, on His throne, His seat of judgment, and judge the way that He judges others so that we're condemning another human being, what are we doing? What are we saying? We're saying, I am God. We're trying to take His place. And if we do that, if we do it without reservation, if we do it habitually, if we're constantly looking around at others uh, who, who are in our midst and condemning them to hell, then the question is, do we truly believe? Do we truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we're, con- we're constantly trying to take God's place on His throne. You see, we are able to see the actions of other people. We're able to hear their words. But we cannot know what is going on in their hearts. We can see their actions. We can see what they do. And based upon their actions, we can make biblical judgments about what they're doing, whether it is right or whether it is wrong. We are permitted to do that by Scripture, and we can. But we cannot. We cannot know another human being's heart. We do not know their motives. We don't don't know what propels them to do the things that they do. But the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Now someone uh, who is not a believer, the science fiction writer Orson Scott Card, he's a Mormon. His most famous book is Ender's Game. He has written uh, in various places that one of the reasons he loves to write fiction, and specifically science fiction, is that he can manufacture the motives of his characters. And one of the limitations, he says, of biographers and historians, those who are trying to do historical work, is that they cannot possibly look at the actions of another human being and determine the motives which caused that person to do the thing that they did. This is, a, this is an unbeliever who in God's common grace has the ability to see a measure of truth. But God looks at the heart of a person. God looks straight through He sees straight to the center of our being. 
He untangles the naughtiness of our hearts. He knows better than you and I do why we do the things that we do. He, because of this intimate knowledge of our hearts, He alone may judge us at the last day. Well, let's turn now and look at verses 3 to 5, this section which I've titled Hypocrisy. In verses 3 to 5, Jesus illustrates the command that he has given in verse 1. And he draws from his experience as a carpenter uh, to help his readers understand the hypocrisy that he's talking about. Many of you work with wood. Uh, Many of us like to get out and do some sawing and some cutting and some building and those kinds of things. And you know what it feels like to get a, a speck of dust in your eye, the pain that it causes. And there are times where it won't naturally wash itself out. And so you can relate to this passage, this, this illustration that Jesus gives. He says in these verses, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now this illustration calls to mind what Jesus said back in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 6, where he compared the healthy eye to the unhealthy eye. The healthy eye lets in the light. The unhealthy eye is clouded. And there's darkness within the heart of the person. Well, this illustration is deliberately over the top. It is ludicrous. And Jesus knows this. It is ludicrous that a person who would have a log sticking out of his eye would attempt to pull a speck out of another person's eye. Imagine a log sticking out of your eye. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous that a log would be in the first place. It's ludicrous that a person would try to take a speck out. But it is even more ludicrous. This is what Jesus is saying. It is even more ludicrous for one person to attempt to take God's place upon his throne by sitting in judgment over another sinner and condemning them to hell. That is what's more ludicrous than this crazy illustration that Jesus has decided to use. It's as if Jesus is asking, how can you condemn another person for the minute imperfections of his heart when you're not even aware of the gigantic imperfections of your own? We can't be trusted to see other people's sin accurately when we're completely unable to see our own. And that is what is, is, is staring us in the face here in this passage. We can't even see our own sin accurately. Especially if we don't believe. How can we expect to see others? Well, these verses indeed are used all of the time by unbelievers against Christians to prove that we're hypocrites. But a true Christian, one who truly believes, one who is humbly repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, is aware of his own sinfulness. Even when declared to be righteous by God, even if you have been declared, you stand before God's tribunal and you've been declared to be righteous by Him, you're justified in Christ Jesus. You still are sinful and you're aware of this. That is not a hypocrite, that is a humble sinner who is aware of his standing before the Lord. The hypocrite is blind to his own sinfulness, he cannot see it. It has not been exposed to him by the Holy Spirit. And this points to what the Apostle John said in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 10. He says, There, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. 
These are strong words. But you see, a true believer, one who has humbly repented and come before the Lord, finds his hope in verse 9. Verse 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is our hope. You see, the, the believer, the person who confesses his sins, uh, is the way that a hypocrite removes the log from his eye. Confessing your sins. Coming before the Lord. That's how you take the, the log out of your own eye. And if we, as former hypocrites, remember that log, we remember the log that was removed from our own eye, we will have compassion on other people. We will look at them, even if what they have, all they have is a speck. We'll have compassion on them. And we'll seek to help them and to care for them. Well, let's look now at verse 6. Rejected mercy. The implication in, of Jesus' illustration in verses 3 to 5 is that once the hypocrite has the log in his eye removed and is no longer a hypocrite, only then should he proceed to, re, to help remove the speck from the brother's eye. The implication is that we will do this. That believers have a responsibility and an obligation to help others. When we have been healed, our desire should be to heal other people. Well, in verse 6, Jesus deals with this removal of the speck, this turning to the brother and seeking to heal them. But he uses very different images here, doesn't he? He says there, do not give to dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or excuse me, before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I must say, this, this verse is challenging. And it's challenging to understand what it means in this context. It seems as though in many ways Jesus has now turned his attention to a different topic. But all of the commentaries that I consulted agreed on, on one thing. If they agreed on nothing else, they agreed on this one thing. That what Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about giving uh, what is holy to dogs and giving pearls to pigs, what he is talking about here is the proclamation of the gospel. He's talking about sharing the gospel the pearl of great price, the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom which Jesus says we are to pursue, we are to seek with all of our might. Well, there are some who oppose the idea that we should freely offer the gospel to all sinners. There are many. There's been a great controversy in the church, and especially among Calvinists, among those who believe in the election of, of God's people. And there's a struggle. If God is sovereign, and if He alone elects and calls people to himself, should we offer the gospel freely to those? What if we offer the gospel to those who aren't of the elect? And sometimes they use this verse as a, as a reference against those who say, no, we must freely offer the gospel to everyone. They use this verse and they say, no, you're casting your pearls before swine when you do that. In their understanding... To offer the gospel to someone who is not of the elect is to debase it. To make it less than the pearl of great price, that great treasure. Well, the problem with this line of thinking is that we do not know whom God's elect are. And if we presume that we do, if we presume that we know who God's elect are, then once again, 
We're sitting in God's seat of judgment. We're judging another person's heart. How can we judge who gets to hear the gospel? How are we to be the arbiter of who hears God's voice? We don't know. We can't look on another person's heart. This is caught up in the mysterious will of God the Father. Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, said this, As the ministers of the gospel and those who are called to the office of teaching cannot distinguish between the children of God and swine, it is their duty to present the doctrine of salvation indiscriminately to all. This is my duty as a minister of the gospel. This is the duty of all those who teach. This is the duty of every believer. Because all of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are commanded to go into the world and to preach the good news. This is exactly what Jesus says in Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. You are not to discriminate. It is not for us to determine who gets to hear the gospel. This verse then is perfectly balanced by verse 1. And that is how I think this passage fits together as a unit. Verse 1 balances out verse 6. Verse 6 seems to limit, it seems to to provide a a certain amount of caution to whom we preach the gospel. But verse 1 says, do not judge. The worst judgment a person can receive in this life is the refusal to, to be deemed unworthy to hear the gospel. Who am I to say that another human being is not worth hearing the gospel of salvation in Christ Jesus? Well, this passage then, this passage, verse 1 to 6, is at its core evangelistic in nature. When we refuse to share the gospel with another human being, we are, in a sense, condemning them. We are withholding from them the very words of life. Now, in the Old Testament, in Amos chapter 8, verses 11 to 12, God pronounces a judgment on his people. He pronounces a judgment on Israel, and he says it will come in the form of a famine. But what type of famine is it? God says, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of God. Without the words of God, without the words of life, we stand condemned. Because we have no knowledge, no way of gaining salvation. The refusal to proclaim the gospel to unbelievers is a form of judgment. Judgment of the worst kind. Because it inevitably leads to eternal judgment if God does not intercede. And that type of judgment is for God alone to give and not for you or for me. And so, we are to freely offer the gospel to all. Because we cannot see as God sees. We do not know whom his elect are. And so we cast the gospel out like a net. We spread it out like seeds on the ground. And yet this verse does call us to use discretion, doesn't it? The gospel is a precious gift. It is holy. It is valuable as a string of pearls. We do guard this treasure that's entrusted to us. But we don't hold it. We don't hold it back. It is not to be given to dogs or thrown out to pigs. What does Jesus mean by this? Who are the dogs? Who are the pigs? Dogs in Jesus' day were considered unclean by Jews. 
just like swine. They were, they were unclean animals. And stray dogs were notorious uh, in the, by the people in Jesus' time. They were notorious among the people in Jesus' time for being the kind of dog that will growl at you, that will become aggressive with you if you try to feed it, biting the hand that feeds it. And so Jesus, the people who are listening to him know this. They have this image in their head of these stray dogs who snap at the one who tries to feed them. Well, these dogs and these pigs, Calvin says, they are those who by clear evidences have manifested a hardened contempt of God so that their disease appears to be incurable. They have manifested. They have made it, made it clear to all. They've put it on display that they hate God. John Stott says that the dogs and pigs are not just unbelievers. They're not just your average unbeliever out on the street. They are rather those who have had ample opportunity to hear and receive the good news, but have decisively, even defiantly, rejected it. This is a different class of unbeliever. And this is the class that we are to hold back on and be careful, not cast our pearls down before them. Not give over what is holy to them. We are, like the sowers in Jesus' parable, to sow the seed of the gospel wherever we go. The sower was indiscriminate in the type of soil he cast seed. Whether it was upon the path or upon the rocky ground or among the thorns. He didn't care. He just threw it out. This is the way we are to be. But we as saints, we're not to be judges. But as Spurgeon said... Saints are not simpletons either. We are to use the wisdom that the Lord has given us. We are to take care that the gospel that has been trusted to all the saints is not downtrodden. That it is not held in contempt. Jesus has given his disciples boundaries in how we share the gospel with unbelievers. We do not condemn them by refusing to share the gospel with them, but we don't relegate unbelievers to hopelessness because we, because we presume that they are not of God's elect. As if we could make that judgment. We must not, even when an unbeliever comes to us in our face and tells us, judge not, lest you be judged. We must not feel as though we can withhold the word of truth and life. But neither do we try to force the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ upon those who utterly reject it. We cannot force it upon them. We are to hold the string of pearls out for all to see, but we do not throw it down on the ground to be trampled. Well, the real issue that Jesus confronts his hearers with is this Are you a hypocrite? Or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you a hypocrite? Are you one who has not had the log removed from your eye? Or have you been healed? Has your eye been unclouded and made healthy so that it lets light in, so that the whole of yourself, the whole of your heart, the whole of your body is now in light and not in darkness? If you do not know Jesus Christ, if you continue to resist Christ in unbelief, you will stand before God on the great day of judgment and you will have no hope. You will have no hope. But what does Jesus say? If you confess my name before men, Jesus will stand beside you. 
And you will have no fear on that day. If you do not know Jesus Christ, you will stand condemned. But your hope is in the fact that Jesus is the Savior of everyone who turns to Him in faith. The requirements are simple. If you wish to remove the log from, log from your own eye, in faith, confess your sins. Jesus Christ is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is the promise we have in Christ Jesus. This is the promise that we hold out to everyone, believer and unbeliever alike. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we confess to you that we are guilty of withholding the good news of the gospel in Christ Jesus from unbelievers. We've held it back. We've thought of it as our own treasure, not to be shared with anyone else. We've considered others to be unworthy of it, and so doing, in so doing, we have condemned them, O oh Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us now to be bold in our desire for unbelievers to be saved, to have eternal life, to have life forever with Jesus Christ in heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with a desire and a love and a compassion for other people, that they would know Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would indeed forgive us when we are timid, when we are neglectful of our duties as children of the Most High God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.